and to be in part two of Jesus's letter to the church in Philadelphia. So if you want to flip open Revelation chapter three, verse seven. And I think because uh, we're doing it a second part to it, we'll have time to read through it together today. So will you stand with me and I'll read verse 7 through verse 13, Jesus's letter to the church in uh, Philadelphia, the home of Rocky Balboa and the Philly cheesesteaks. So uh, of course that's not true, just in case you're really excited about that all of a sudden. Okay. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. He will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You guys can go ahead and have a seat, and Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you would say even to the Philadelphians, Lord, that though there's not great correction to them, they still needed ears to hear. And and we pray, God, that what is applicable to us in the commending, that we would be greatly encouraged, and, and where we could learn from the Philippians' example because we're lacking Lord, that you would correct us and, and straighten our paths and, and uh, give us the humility to hear from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is part two in the ch- uh, letter to the church to the Philadelphians, so don't be too bummed out if you feel like you're missing much of verse 7 and verse 8. Uh, You can get online, you can either download the podcast, listen to the audio file, get on YouTube to Calvary Prineville uh, and and watch a YouTube video, lots of ways to catch up, Um, and we will lightly touch on that as Jesus says, uh, hey, I'm the one from chapter one who's holy, I'm set apart, there's no one like me, I'm true, I'm truthy, I'm trustworthy, I can be trusted in the things that I say. And here's something that I'm going to say that you're going to wonder if I'm true and right or not. And that is that I've got the keys of David. I'm the Messiah. I alone hold salvation in my hands. I'm the one that allows access and denies access into the kingdom of heaven. 
I'm the one who is able to open when no one else can open. And I can shut when no one else can shut. And I can keep it open or I can keep it shut. That being said, hey, I know you guys. And I've set before you an open door. Check it out. See, I've set before you an open door. And we looked at last week how there was an open door for evangelism in this Philadelphian church. In fact, Philadelphia happened to be a sort of missionary hub, though not originally for the gospel. They were a very Hellenistic, Greek-influenced Roman society, and they, were, they had a mission and a, as a culture of going out and letting Greek culture be known. But Jesus says, I've got something way more for you, uh, more than just evangelizing about Greek culture. Uh, I want people to know about me. I want people to know of me, the holy one, the true one, and the one who opens and shuts And no one's going to shut this door. And part of the uh, qualifications of the Philadelphians having such a privilege of an open door was that they were little and puny. (laughs) They were the Davids in the Goliath of the task. Uh, They they had little strength. We studied that last week as 2 Corinthians speaks of who's sufficient for this great ministry Uh, that God's given us. We thank God our our sufficiency is in Christ. It's by his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the message of the gospel, that that we are sufficient for this ministry. And God gets all the glory as we come as weaklings and just tap into his power and his might to do his work for his glory. Because they had a little bit of strength. It's been said that the Philadelphian church was not great, but it was good. It was not powerful, but it was faithful. And that was something that that the Lord saw as a fantastic thing. They had a little bit of strength, but they were clinging to what was right. In fact, a focus of today's message is going to be from verse 8 and verse 10 about how the Philadelphians had kept his word, had kept his command. They clung to the word of God. And recently I've been doing a bit of a paver patio project in my backyard. And I've noticed more than ever that we have a great lizard population in our backyard. It's really exciting, really fun. And my kids have enjoyed it for years, but when you're out there every day and you're kind of in a part of your yard that you, it was gross, you never went, wanted to go in there, uh, you just see all these lizards and big ones and small ones. But my favorite one has been this little guy, super tiny, like a baby lizard that just runs along the side of our house. And we have like foundation stones that are there as the foundation. And so he runs along the foundation stones and he's just super fast. But you can tell he, as he runs to the side, the gravity kind of pulls him down. And you can hear his little, like, paws or whatever, his paws and claws or whatever. And I love that. And I was thinking about how it's like the little lizard that clings. He doesn't have a whole lot of strength. I mean, he's really a little weakling, but he's clinging. He's a clinging weakling. I, I don't know, something like that. And, uh, and, and that's a little bit of what 
we are as Christians. It's not that in and of ourselves we have a ton of power, and maybe even specifically this church, it was just a weak church in the midst of this society, in the midst of this Jewish synagogue that that claimed to be the chosen ones, and yet they were persecuting the Christians, and Jesus would actually call them a synagogue of Satan. Comparatively, the Philadelphian church seemed quite small and weak, and you know, that might even be a little bit of Calvary Chapel, Prineville. You know, we're in Prineville, you know, we're kind of the, you know, the stepchild of Bend, you know, or we're kind of the stepbrother or sister, whatever. No offense to steps out there. We love all the steps. We love all the children the same. Really, we don't even see the steps. But, uh, but you know, we might be the armpit of Central Oregon or, you know, whatever. We've all heard it, you know. You more than me. I'm newer. So I used to say it about you. Then I became one and just teasing. But, you know, we may be the little thing, and we may be the, you know, like, who goes here unless you're going to John Day, you know, or you're going hunting in the ocean. Like, what, what is Prineville? Let alone, you know, Calvary Chapel, and it's probably, you know, one of the smaller churches in town, and the income isn't a ton, and, you know, it's just, we're just kind of like normal men and women, and like, sorry, but you're looking at a guy that graduated high school, and then did a term of welding school, and then was a youth pastor, but I really don't have like a ton of formal education. I got no big diploma to hang on my wall. Lakeview High School, I got that. I don't know where it is, but I've got that diploma. Pretty proud of it. Um, But, you know, and then I remember Johnny, you know, our worship leader up here. I've known him for about almost 13 years, and I remember begging him to lead worship for our high school ministry in Corvallis. And he's like, well, I don't really know how to play, and I kind of know these, like, secular songs. I'm like, man, just keep playing and practicing, and pretty soon he's leading worship for the high school ministry, and he's one of our faithful worship leaders here. He's just self-taught, like, you know, not a Led Zeppelin or anything like that, you know? And it's just, we're just, you know, I remember Adam, when he started leading, he's like, I took, like, piano lessons in the first grade, you know, and I'm like, start playing, bro, you know? It's like, we're using weaklings, right? We're just, like, hey, it's us, you know, what do you know, you know, most of the time I have a stain on my shirt as I'm up here preaching to you guys, you know, and it's like, that's okay, all right, just, we're just the normal things, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you're going to be so encouraged because you see who the Lord uses, you know, that he uses the weak things to confound the strong, he uses the foolish things to put to shame the wise, he uses the base things of the world, and the things that are not to humble those that are everything. So praise the Lord that he uses the church in Prineville, and he is using the church in Prineville, this specific church I can speak towards. Praise God for that. You know, we're the little lizard that's just like, you know, I don't know, but here's what I do know. Like, I'm not forsaking the word of God. We're going to be faithful to the word of God. Till Jesus comes back, we are not going to betray the word of God. We are going to study the word of God. We are going to value the word of God. And our little claws will never let go by the grace of God. Can I get an amen? amen. No, I don't think you believe me. All right. Anyways. But we see that there was this persecution going on heavily from the synagogue of Satan in verse 9. They were Jews, but really they were Jews in name only. Jesus knew that they were lying 
that they had no spiritual connection to Abraham or the people of faith. And uh, it's been said wherever God has his church, Satan has his chapels and his synagogues. And apparently there was one there in Philadelphia. But notice this promise, and it's interesting. And you would almost be like, oh, Lord, are you sure you meant to say that to, to Philadelphia? Yeah, indeed. I will make them come and worship before your feet. Bow down. And to know that I have loved you. The word worship, and it's the same as, as we're worshiping Jesus, but it's pros kineos. And it means to kiss and to show reverence towards. So when we worship Jesus, we're kissing Jesus, you know. Uh, we are kissing towards him. Just, mm, we love you. Mm, we can't get enough of you, Lord. Just, and I'm cool with that. I'm a guy that kisses. You know, I just smother my kids with kisses. And every now and then one of you gets one planted on the cheek. So just the dudes, don't worry, okay? Or maybe you should worry. It, you know, okay. Bib we'll keep it biblical and nice and clean, all right? But just, we just kiss towards you, Lord. What have you done for us? Oh, Mwah! you know? But interestingly enough, that those who are persecuted are going to have the synagogue of Satan come and show reverence to them. They're going to bow the knee and show reverence. It's going to be great vindication for the martyrs. It's a biblical thing. Isaiah 49, 23, kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. Or Isaiah 60, 14, also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And interesting, the Jews thought that was for them, perhaps the synagogue of Satan even. And, and, uh, and I believe that, you know, still the Jews have wonderful reward. I'm not preaching some replacement theology or something. But we see here, anyone who's persecuting, those who've been bought by the blood of the Lamb, they're going to do some bowing. They're going to eat some humble pie and they're going to come and they're going to bow down. And you know, persecuted people often long for justice against their persecutors. We're going to see that uh, in a little bit during the tribulation, during the first seal judgments where the voice of the martyrs are crying out, how long till there's justice for our persecution? Tertullian wrote early on in church history, uh, what sight shall wake my wonder? What my laughter, my joy and exultation, as I see all those kings, those great kings groaning in the depths of darkness and the magistrates who persecuted in the name of Jesus, liquefying in fierce flames that they kindled in their rage against Christians. It's kind of, you know, but it's interesting because when you read the Psalms, David has the same moment of passion in his prayer. He's just, he's just praying just really like, this has been hurting and I'm trusting you, Lord, for justice. And the Lord says, hey, they'll come, they'll bow down. Verse 10, 
It's also because you have kept my command to persevere that I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so there's this great pleasure that Jesus has in the church in Philadelphia. Here we see he's so pleased for the second time, once in verse 8, here in verse 10, so pleased that they have kept his command, or as the ESV says, kept my word. It's been said a great commission church is a church that pleases her Lord. She has, as it often said, the smile of God upon her. We know from last week, this church of the open door was a great commission church, a missionary church, a church that had an open door set before them. And she had the pleasure of the Lord upon her or the smile of God upon her. She had kept the Lord's word, the word of patience. The Philadelphian church loved the word of God. And I pray today as we look at this church that we too have a love for the scripture fostered in our heart. That we like the Philadelphians would have an intense delight in it. That we would begin to appreciate the word of God. That we would feed upon it. That we would store it up, that as bees store up their honey, and we would defend it like bees defend their honey. That we would love the sweetness of the word of God. And as a homework assignment to you, that you would read Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, but a chapter that just is declaring how wonderful the word of God is. And perhaps it would foster in us a great care, a great value, a delight in the word of God so that we too would be a church that keeps it and defends it, that we would meditate upon it, that we would seek to understand it, that we would delight in everything that has come from the mouth of God as he's revealed himself to us. If you love the word of God, there is something about you that God delights in. We might be a church of very little strength. We might be a church that, you know, we've got an old building and it's got flies in the summertime and we have to open the doors at four in the morning to get it to cool down. We don't have AC. We sweat a lot in here together. We might be a church with, you know, you know, you know, I don't want to say low tithe or something, but you know, it's just a good moderate tithe. So it's a wonderful tithe with who we are. You compare yourself to mega churches. Holy moly, they're rolling in the millions. We're rolling in the thousands. That's a wonderful thing for where we're at. Don't let the enemy lie to us that God doesn't want to use us. We might be a church of the laymen. We might be a church of the, the one mission trip a year that we go out to the nations with you know eight to 10 of us. We might be small, but if we delight and keep the word of God, God's pleasure is among us. 
It's been said, believe God's word and you have done a God-like work. Believe it when others contradict it and you're a conqueror over them all. Believe it when circumstances seem to make it questionable. Believe it when your own heart fails you. Believe it when your sin and corruption rise within you like a fountain of foul waters. So you shall give glory to the God of truth. Hold on to the promises made to you in the word of God and the revelation that we have of Jesus Christ therein. And if we do that, the Lord will say, I see your works. I know you're weak. You have little strength, but you've kept my word. You've kept my commands. It's so easy, especially in this day and age where we've got all sorts of material at our fingertips. We've got every YouTube video or podcast. It's in front of us on Facebook. There's all these great teachers that have all the, the fluff and the puff about them. But all of their philosophy and all of their theology does not come from the book, but comes from their own makings, from their own thinkings, from their own strength. And it was Spurgeon who said in the 1800s, they're like spiders that are creating something out of their bowels and weaving webs with it. And that's exactly what the philosophy of man and man's wisdom is compared to the word of God. It's something from the bowels that makes a sticky web weaved. You can quote that sometime. Something, okay. Chillington said in the 1600s as he defended the gospel and the word of God, that the Bible and the Bible alone is the religion of Protestants. The Protestant Reformation was a reformation that cried out, sola scriptura. Let's come back to the word of God and let it shape who we are as the people of God. Cling to the infallible and immutable revelation inspired by the Holy Spirit, profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in all righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, Paul tells Timothy in the pastoral epistle of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, preach that word, keep that word. I always think of uh, those novelty stores that were in the mall. I haven't been to the mall in a while. I don't know about you guys. You know, now it's outside malls. They don't really have, but the novelty store, you know, had the life-size poster of, you know, Val Kilmer or something, you know, in Top Gun, you know, uh, had, uh, has the little fake dog poo, you know, that you like hide, you know, in your wife's side of her bed at night, you know, and just kind of, you know. It's got the bass that sings that you hang on the wall, like the novelty stuff. And everyone gets all, oh, about the novelty stuff. But it's cheap, you know. It's cheap. It's, it's a quick flash in the pan. And whatever novelty this world and, and the preachers of it can come up with that is away from the word of God, 
It's going to perish. Keep the word of Jesus. An old hymn says, Within this sacred volume lies the mystery of Mr. Eyes. Mysteries. Happiest they of human race to whom our God hath given grace to read, to mark, to think, to pray, to know the right, to learn the way. But better they'd never been born who read to doubt or read to scorn. What a blessing the word of God that God reveals himself. And then that he wrote it down so that we could have it as the standard that we would never have to doubt the veracity of the scriptures. It defends itself and all the critics and all the skeptics and all the variants and all of the manuscripts and all that. Do your homework and you'll find that there's nothing by which you should have any doubt about how pure and holy and authoritative this inspired, inerrant book is. There's a reason we can come to it with confidence. And there's a reason that Jesus, the God of the universe, the God over the church, the chief shepherd of the church, will say to the church, keep it. Keep it, even though we don't really know what should be in there and what shouldn't be in there. And you know what the right tense is of this or what the, like, Jesus doesn't go into all of that. Because the God of the universe, the God who spoke the world into existence, who said, let there be light, who brought something out of nothing, is completely and totally able. It is like no big thing for him whatsoever to keep his word to his bride for a couple of thousand years. Like, I'm kind of able to do that. I don't know if you know that or not. Okay? Like, you have a pretty small view of me if you think that, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay? Let this foster faith in us in the word of God. Faith in the Lord and his ability to preserve his word that he says, I value my word above my name. The word of God is pure, purer than silver refined in the belly of the earth seven times. Trust me. And those that have faith in God And the word of God, who keep his word, they are like the precious jewel in the crown jewels of the Queen of England. If you've kept God's word, you may be wielding an influence far beyond what you'd ever imagined. You might be weak, have little strength, be unlearned, not the best orator, but if you can say, it is written. It is written. It is written. The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It is able to pierce between bone and marrow and soul and spirit. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when guys like us and girls like you crack it open and just read a little bit, it does its work. It does its work. It might seem so small, and we might seem so small. It's like ropes in a belfry tower. In 
Polina, every afternoon when we start the church service, 4 p.m., we have a child go and grab this rope that comes out of the ceiling. And the first week we did it, it was Liza um, Childers, you know, and, and Titus has done it, and I think uh, uh, Callie has done it, and just little kids, they just love doing it. And they go over, they grab a rope over by the microwave, and they just, and they, at first, you're like, and then all of a sudden you hear, clang, 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 and that sound is going all across Polina, saying something is happening here. I don't think you know what it is. All right. But it's, it's just a rope, and I don't see no bells, and I don't, you know, and then all of a sudden, you're just faithful to just, hey, this is what we've got. This is what God's given us. And it starts to resound, and it has an effect. But if a disputer can get you away from the Bible, he'll swallow you alive. If a disputer can get you away from the sword of the Spirit, you're going to find yourself in a battle without a weapon. Your best wisdom, and this doesn't mean that, you know, man, you study, show yourself approved, do your work, that's good. But not at the expense of tossing out the Bible. You're ashamed of the Bible. It's an old book. I should go to science or creation.org or something like that. Use the Bible. All right. Use the Bible. Let it go. Unleash it rather than try to defend it. And those who keep the word, the Lord will keep in his promise there in verse 10. For you have kept my command to persevere I will keep you from the hour of trial. And so, of course, in verse 8, you've kept my word. In that keeping of the word, they've not denied Jesus. In verse 10, in the keeping of the word, they are continuing in the faith. They are persevering in the midst of trial. And the Lord is going to keep them out of the big trial. Some big trial that in the context of the book of Revelation, is going to come upon the whole entire world. He's not going to keep them through the trial, but in the Greek, it's eka from and out of the trial. It's my personal conviction and my studying that God is going to rescue the faithful church from the last days out of the great time of Jacob's sorrows, where he pours his wrath out upon a Christ-rejecting world. All right, some people disagree with me. They love Jesus. They're just trying to understand the word of God. I love Jesus. I'm trying my best to understand it. And in my studying, it's my conviction that this is a, it's a clear declaration that the faithful church will be kept out of the great tribulation that, that tries the whole world. They'll be taken out of it. I believe that it's a a description of the rapture of the church. It's a description of the the bride being united with the groom, uh, the fiance. And we're going to see it when we get to chapter 4. All of a sudden, after the church age, I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice that I heard that was like a trumpet said to me saying, come up here. I believe that's, that's just a picture of the rapture happening after the church age where the church of Philadelphia, 
uh, is, is taken up and kept out of this time of wrath poured upon the world that if the Lord hadn't stopped it, no flesh would survive, okay? Um, the good news is Jesus is faithful to his church, his bride, whatever happens. And in the words of Billy Graham, hey, we pray for uh, pre-trib, rapture, prepare for post in that we're walking with Jesus. We're clinging to him. Whatever comes, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Behold, verse 11, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Check it out. I'm coming quickly. And remember this from chapter one. I think it was our first study in Revelation and it was in the park that this phrase quickly is to be understood as something that happens suddenly and unexpected, not necessarily something that is like going to immediately happen right now. No, right now, no, now, not now. Jesus kept saying he's coming. All right. The language speaks of going near the cliff, right? You're going near the cliff so that when the Lord says, go, you're at the cliff, all right? It's right there. It's going to happen suddenly, but it's going to happen in the Lord's time. And when it happens, it's going to be a moment. It's going to be the twinkling of an eye, all right? And we will be with the Lord. It's an exciting study. And we'll get into it as we keep moving through the word. It's not necessarily immediately happening now, but it is sudden when it happens and it's unexpected. And we have the hope of Revelation 1.3 at the end of the verse where it says that the time is near. It's near to us. Jesus says in Revelation 22.7, behold, I'm coming quickly. And again in verse 12 of Revelation 22, and behold, I'm coming quickly quickly and i've got my reward with me and later on in verse 20 at the end of verse 20 surely i'm coming quickly and john says amen even so come lord jesus come quickly come soon james tells us in 5 9 that the judge is standing at the door. And I love studying uh, military history. I love studying the, the airborne in World War II, 101st Airborne, you know, and, and uh, when they were going into Normandy, and it was a dark morning, early morning hours, and, you know, you had a whole stick of paratroopers in a C-47, and they'd hook up and line up and go to the door, and you had that front paratrooper, and he'd put his hands on the outside of the door, and he's just waiting. And there's a little green light, red light, and it was a red light next to him, and he wasn't supposed to look at it. He was supposed to just look out the door. And when it turned green, the guy behind him just went, boosh! <laughs> you know, there you go. Sometimes they trick each other. Ooh! No, I'm just kidding. They wouldn't do that. But just like, and you know, just the, the Lord is at the door. And even Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, submitting to the Father in His role says, I don't even know the day or the hour, but I'm, I got my paratrooper boots laced up, you know? You know, and I'm ready. You just give the words, Lord. The judge is standing at the door. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Cling to it. As you keep the word, cling to the word. Hold fast to the word. 
It's a revelation term. In chapter 3, verse 3, 2, verse 13, 2, verse 25, he often says, hold fast to my name. Don't let anyone take your crown. It's not a golden crown. It's not a diadem, but it's a victor's crown. It's the leafy Olympian crown, the Stephanos in the Greek. It's a wreath, a prize, an accomplishment. The idea here isn't that you'd even... uh, let someone take it from you, but that you would give it away. And Jesus is like, no, keep it. Keep it. Keep what you have. Don't let anyone steal it from you and don't give it away. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I know you guys are stoked about that, right? Like, I want to be a pillar, you know? Worked out well for Lot's wife in the book of Genesis pillar of salt, you know, of course it didn't. This is, it's so great to know the cultural context because the church in Philadelphia was used to earthquakes all the time. The whole city would be destroyed. The people would have to run from falling rubble and mortar, and they would always have to leave the city. They'd have to run out and evacuate the city. They were always ready for that. And the Lord speaks of the permanence, the permanent place that he gives them. As pillars, even to this day, I think we have pictures of uh, Philadelphia somewhere. We can throw them up if we haven't shown them already. But some of the things that are still around from the ancient city of Philadelphia happens to be pillars. All right. And often as we've looked at many of these uh, Turkish uh, churches, uh, what do you see sticking around over the centuries, over the millennia? It's the pillars of the temples, right? They're all sticking up. This is something that they understood and it meant stability permanence, you won't have to run anymore. You overcome, I'm going to give you stability and I'm going to keep you. As the psalmist says in 23.6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You overcome, you keep my word. I'm going to keep you out of that hour of trial. You're going to be with me. You're going to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. Romans tells us in chapter 8, verse 38, and when I was a high schooler, we wrote a song about it. And it just says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to keep us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's something that those who keep the word of God can declare. Pillars in the temple. Pillars with names. How does it, what does it speak of this name here? It says, I will write on him the name of my God and the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. In about two to three to 20 weeks, we're going to be reading about the new Jerusalem later on in the book of Revelation. But... Um, Something that the Philadelphians would do is they would write the names of like heroic, notable sons of their city upon the pillars uh, all throughout the city. And Jesus says, I'm going to write your name upon you as I make you a pillar in my temple. It was a cultural thing. We even see the Old Testament. The temple had the names Jacob and Boaz written on them. 
And as Charles Spurgeon says, Oh, that my words might call out some faithful ones in these evil days. We need pillars in the house of our God. Where are they? Where will they be found? In this evil day, that was written in the 1880s. In this evil day, where men are abandoning the scriptures, um, Lindsay and I, we like to listen to audiobooks when we travel. And uh, we just started listening to a book about Jim Jones and the People's Temple and the Jonestown community in Guyana that, you know, drank the Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid gets such a bad rap, it wasn't even Kool-Aid. It was some other type of punch. But anyways, that is neither here nor there. And you want to know what was, it's just so sad as you listen to the story of Jim Jones is that he was a very driven man with a vision for racial integration. In fact, he is solely responsible for Indianapolis being integrated racially. A wonderful thing. He trumpeted social justice probably like no one in his time up up through the late 50s, early 60s. He hated racism. His desire was for socialism. And he used the church, though didn't believe in the God and had zero value for the word of God, he used the church for his socialistic programs, which led to the tragedy of all of his followers committing suicide with him. Okay, And as you read the story, he tossed out the book. So that even his followers would go to his house and begin to wonder, there's not a Bible in this house. To the point where he even just started cussing and cursing and making fun of the Bible and the God of the Bible to the point where he actually called himself a God and a manifestation of God. And it's interesting to watch men even within his leadership at a point go, as, as he'd go on you know, these long trips, they'd begin to preach from the Bible again and they'd get the boot. And then they'd say, I can't follow you anymore because you've abandoned the Bible. You've abandoned the book. Don't abandon the book. All right? That is where all the tragedies come from. You know, recently, a worship leader, a popular worship leader in our culture has said, you know, I, I back away from uh, the faith. I back away from the word of God. You know, it's, it's one of two influential people in our society in the last three weeks who have said, I'm out, not a Christian anymore, don't believe the Bible, there's a lot of other religions. And believe it or not, it was the lead singer of a band called Skillet that recently came out and said, you guys, we cannot be letting 20-something-year-old worship leaders who are not theologians and are not grounded in the word, who, who bring emotional experiences, we cannot let them be dictating the belief of the church. No wonder they fall. That doesn't mean that even great theologians don't fall. We've got to be humble and we've got to remember that. But we do need to remember this. The word of God is our foundation. And the church has been built upon the words of the apostles and the prophets as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this church in Philadelphia, the faithful church, kept out of the hour of trial, was a church that kept his word. So don't let the waves of people fall. People have always fallen away. We grieve and we pray for them. They've fallen away out of Calvary Chapel. They've fallen away out of Hillsong. 
They've fallen away out of uh, Reformed churches. They've fallen away out of Southern Baptist conventions. It's, It's a biblical thing. It's a grievous thing. But we focus on the truth and we focus on the word and we will not be shaken. We will be the lizards who cling to the word of God and we will become those pillars. Worship team, will you come on up? And we who have ears today, let us hear what the Spirit say to the churches. Final quote from Spurgeon as the team comes up. If you feel, I can never give up the Bible. I can never forsake the truths that I've learned from it. They are stamped on my heart. They are cut into the very center of my soul then you are the man or woman who can safely go out to proclaim the truth. There is an open door before you which no one can shut. Gird up your loins and enter it. Rush to the front. Victory lies before you. God intends to use you. You are a vessel fit for the master's use. Oh, that sounds like when Lindsay calls me. That's Lindsay's ringtone. You are a vessel fit for the master's use, and there never was a vessel fit for his use that he did not use one day or the other. The hour needs its man quite as much as the man needs the hour. Seize time by its horns and honor your God. May the Lord help you to keep his word and then go to, then to go in for public ministry. Lord, we want to be this church. We humbly come having examined Ephesus, a church with so many works, but left their first love. Pergamos, a compromising church, compromising with the world, compromising with immorality, compromising doctrine and theology. Sardis, the church of the walking dead, had a reputation, but there was no life within it. And we come to Philadelphia, a church that since my youth, I've just remembered that this was a church with the praise of the Lord with Smyrna, the persecuted church. We pray, God, that you would keep us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that the word bears witness to mercy and justice and forgiveness and service and humility and sacrifice We thank you that the word gives witness to the condemnation of racism. We thank you that the word gives women great value. We thank you that the word shows us that women are equal in value as men, though distinct in role or function. We thank you that the word 
gives us words for our inmost thoughts, searches our heart, just pinpoints right where we're at in life. And that anything else, any words of man, any prophecy of men, it all must be subject to the word. And we thank you, Jesus. We worship you. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld your glory as we behold it today, the only begotten of the Father. Let us be a church that keeps your word. I pray that even today would be a catalyst for Bible reading programs being started on phones and books being opened, dusted off, taken off the shelves. I think of D.L. Moody said, I, I fear that there's enough dust on your Bible to write out the letters H-E-L-L. And that we would dust off the book and we would bring out the book and we would read the book to our wives, wash them with the water of the word. We would disciple our children and teach them the precepts of the word. We would study. We would learn how to study. We would learn proper interpretation. We would know why the book can be trusted. We would value your word. We would keep your word. And Lord, that in all our Bible studies, Lord, we would not lose focus. We wouldn't value the Bible study. We would value the one that the Bible points to. You, Jesus. That's what gives any Bible study any value, is that it points to you, Jesus. And so we declare you to be great, Lord. We worship you. Will you stand with me? And maybe during this last song, you would just pray out to the Lord. Lord, I have not believed the Bible. I have not valued the Bible. I've doubted the Bible. I've set it to the side. I've read many other books. I've thought of it as an ancient text that can't be trusted. I've thought many words of the somebodies of our time have can trump the commands of God. And just in humility today, we would come and, and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Restore in my heart a value for your word that testifies of who you are, who we are, and how you've come to rescue us from our sinful state that all the world would know your glory and your beauty and worship you. Just afresh today, let's let the, work, the Lord do that work in us as we close in this song.